Welcome to Into the Storm Leaders, the no BS podcast that ignites leadership potential and sparks innovation in the ever-evolving business landscape we all work in. I'm Joe Jurek, your host, joined by my co-host and Culture Shock senior coach, Pete Hansberger. Together, we embark on a journey to uncover the strategies, mindsets, and actions that drive truly exceptional leadership and winning culture. Whether you're an emerging leader looking to level up in your career or an accomplished executive seeking fresh perspectives, join us as we uncover inspiring stories and thought-provoking insights from proven leaders and share practical takeaways that enable courageous leadership. Get ready to charge into the storm and become a catalyst for better workplace culture. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Into the Storm Leaders. I'm your host, Joe Jurek, and I have with me today Toria Marquard Schultz from Oxygo, who is the CEO currently. We're pumped to have you today. Uh, say hi. Tell us a little bit about <laughs> Oxygo. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, we are a 30-year-old company. Um we are actually a family of companies. So about 30 years ago, my dad started the company. Um, we had two. We had applied home healthcare equipment and super flash compressed gas equipment. So it was the medical and one was industrial. And the idea was at least if health was up and industrial was down, we could balance each other out. Okay. Um, and so I was the first employee and I started when I was 11. So I used to go to welding farm shows and perform welding demonstrations and actually cause explosions on purpose to like show you were doing the demonstrations yes, you're saying yes. so i would take the oxyacetylene torch and i would light it and then i would run mixed gases through a hose and light them on fire to show that our safety device worked yes yeah so, so yeah there, like there's a story that my dad likes to tell because i was doing it and i actually set my nail polish on fire um because that's how hot it was and so whenever i go to a welding show and out i never wear a nail polish for that reason so you learned it early right <laughs> right at at a high level, for those who maybe aren't yet familiar with OxyGo, how would you explain it to a fifth grader? Like, what well, what yeah. what is your what is it that you you do? So, um, so outside of those two those first two companies, um, were around for about twenty years, and then about ten years ago, we started OxyGo. Oh, okay. So OxyGo is a medical device company, and it is an oxygen concentrator company. So it takes the ambient air and makes it into medical grade oxygen out of a little a little box that's about the size of a purse, sub five pounds. Okay. Yeah. Are, and you said it's a family of, of brands or family of companies. Are the others still operating today? Or, yeah, okay. Absolutely. Yep. So the first two my dad started in the Oxygo I co-founded with my dad. So. Very cool. Uh, so you've been in it then, uh, always in Cleveland, Ohio, it sounds like. Yes, we started oh. in Cleveland. Yep. And I guess let's... Talk about how you got to where you are today, because th this is one of the reasons I was so excited to have you in. Not only do my colleagues at Culture Shock, you know, talk about you all the time. I told you that before you sat down, uh, because we've worked together with EOS and a couple things. And I think some of our team even went to uh, an event where Oxygo won an award uh, a little bit ago. Uh, but there, there's even though you started when you were 11, the kind of passing of the torch, the succession plan uh, of, of you now stepping into the CEO role, because you weren't in that role initially when you were 11. You're at the welding shows, right? Right. <laughs> Had to earn it over those two years there. Uh, right. <laughs> How long have you been in your current role? 
Um, so I started um, just before the pandemic, so about 2018. Um, so I got a couple years in my belt before it all hit the fan. <laughs> a couple years of normalcy, I guess. Yeah. I guess it's better than like first month of the pandemic or six months or something. It's like, all right, take it over, honey. Uh, very cool. Do you, do you have any other uh, – like siblings or family members involved yeah. in the business? I have. Um, so I have an older brother who is not involved in the business. He's just on the family board um, and he's got some really good wise counsel because he's outside of our industry. Um, he's in um, Silicon Valley and in New York and stuff like that. So it's super great to have that perspective. Um, and then inside the company, um, my mom is the controller still. Uh, although we do have a, a CFO that's a CPA now. Um, okay. And my husband is our COO, our integrator. So very cool. And that, and that's a kind of fun dynamic too, I, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, uh, so for those who aren't familiar uh, within the entrepreneurial operating system or EOS, there's the one, two punch combo of having a visionary, typically your CEO and an integrator who uh, more your traditional COO or kind of that like second one, a one B kind of relationship and a lot of organizations don't run that way. Uh, a lot of them have that kind of sole human uh, at the top who uh, makes a lot of the decisions unilaterally. And that was something that drew me to EOS. Because frankly, that dynamic, and I'm sure it's different with, with yours being your husband. I, I want to hear a little bit more about this. But it's usually a pretty intense but wonderful relationship, right? Where you have different strengths. And I, I think that that's something I've seen a lot of those who adopt EOS or implement EOS initially uh, str not struggle with, but they need to really be ready and willing to have that more 1A1B relationship. A visionary integrator in its essence uh, should challenge each other. Right, should, should complement each other very well, but I'll tell you, like, with a member of my team here who is more the integrator or that high fact finder, without EOS, without common knowledge of it, without being married to the person, generally there's a lot of natural conflict and tension between those two personalities. Uh, where prior to EOS, I would attribute it, my relationship with many who are more an integrator type to being like, they're just kind of slowing me down or in the way, and. I later realized like, ah, oh, that, that was the missing piece. I need that person to help balance me out and slow me down, keep me on the rails sometimes. Be like, hey, great idea, but let's finish the last one that you did or reel you in. I, I know I just kind of well, laid a bunch of that out there. You can prove or disprove any of it, but what has your – tell me more about that. Tell me more about like how that came to be. So, you know, when we first started EOS, we definitely had a hard time finding an integrator. We thought, okay, who's this going to be? Because at the time, my husband was um, our head of sales. So we're like, well, we, I don't even know that anybody really thought of him as an integrator or as an option for an integrator. I think probably because we're married. We've been together for like 20 years. So, okay. Yeah. So, so um, and we, you know, we've had... Um, we have a great relationship. He's like my favorite human of all time. Love it. Um, so we, you know, we did search for that. Like that was difficult for us to find a person. I think for me, I realized um, when we start, one of the reasons I came to EOS and I wanted to find a, a system or something to to put us into in like a scaffolding sort of um, is because I realized I couldn't scale myself. Right. So, and I also, you know, worked with my father, who's a visionary 
And I realized, you know, more of that doesn't really get you anywhere unless you have a, a yin to that yang. So to me, I was like, okay, we do need this. I was a hundred percent bought in that we needed somebody to be, um, I always say this when we talk about, you know, like how is the relationship between my husband and I on this and what, what does that look like? I'm like, well, I'm the kite and he's the string. If, with either, if we're missing either piece, we don't go anywhere, right? So that is really helpful. And when I think about um, when we have those, you know, when you say oh, conflict or whatever, when I start to go down that road, I know that that's healthy and that we need that, right? So I never shy away from if I say I don't want to go, you know, paint the town red, and he's like, well, blue is much better. That's our, you know, our, our company right. color. <laughs> I don't, I don't fight against that, right? I go, okay, well, why is he saying that? He's not trying to, you know, rain on my parade. He's trying to make my parade go someplace, yeah. be seen by more people. So what do I, what do I take from that? So I, I try to come from that place of how are we growing this together as opposed to that guy is stopping me. So that's how I take the visionary integrator roles. I love it. Uh, there's something about just knowing you have that objective or different perspective in somebody that you're so close with. Uh, because unfortunately, a lot of times people will hold back and not be fully open and honest, right? I, I imagine it's a little different in a family dynamic, especially, you know, in a, a, a marital relationship with the visionary integrator combo. But that that's a cool, cool component that I actually didn't know prior to today. Uh, it's funny. A lot of people don't know that we're married and then they'll see us like we always do this thing where like if one of us leaves to go on a business trip from work, like we walk each other out to the car and I give him like a hug and kiss goodbye. And somebody that we had just hired saw us like kissing in the parking lot and was like scandalized. Ooh, workplace drama. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, that's that's my husband. It's right. cool. You know, it's, it's pretty funny. A lot of people don't know that. No. <laughs> yeah. Have you met other people in the EOS community that are a visionary integrator, husband, wife combo? I have not actually. Um, it would be super interesting to find that out. I mean, one of the reasons um, I was sort of against it, or we were both, um, John is my husband's name, we were <laughs> against it, is the relationship is that we thought, you know, in the books, it says that you're going to have to change those out, right? I'm going to have to change out my integrator. And I was like, ah, how weird is that going to be if I need to like fire my husband? That's weird. But, you know, I think also because we're in it together and we want to grow it together, he knows that if that was to happen, I'm also very open to having, if my role needs to change, yeah. he's, he's open to it too, because we want the company to grow and the people to grow. And if that means that we grow into something else, that's totally fine. Yeah. Super fascinating. And uh, that also makes me think about unique ability and kind of your the sort of work that you get most energy from and, and that sort of thing uh through colby through dan sullivan strategic coach have you are you familiar with either of those not read them yet but i am going to mark that down because that's got to go on the list because after i hear about it three times it it gets read right. so, yeah. <laughs> well and i heard that coming into today was that you have that uh learner mindset we so often talk about that you're always consuming new information, not so that that way you can run at all of it, but kind of, you know, pull valuable things, keep it fresh and find stuff that, you know, is meaningful to you. Uh, so those two in particular, kind of validating for me, because many of the tendencies I'd had that I was almost more uh, ashamed of, like the the high quick start, they call it, or uh, almost ADHD, ADHD tendencies, shiny objects, squirrels, uh, all those sort of things. For most of my life, I saw it as kind of something I was trying to overcome. And rather, it pointed me towards the strength 
that comes with that. Uh, now, it also shows that, hey, you're probably going to need a counterweight in, in a couple things. But it, it helped me kind of write my role uh, to, to focus more on the things that do bring me energy. So that's something when you're talking about the evolution of the company and the evolution of your role and your husband's, uh, we, we've done... Have you ever done any exercises on around like when you're doing right person, right seat, laying out the roles and responsibilities, but to talk about like what aligns with your passion and skill and enjoyment and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's something it's foreign to a lot of people, but but it can be a super healthy uh, exercise. So I'll, I'll stop running on about that, but uh, it's fascinating to me. I think it's a lot to think about it as the economic concept of comparative advantage. I think you know, if you take it out of the EOS realm and some people who go to business school probably heard there, if you're in business, you know about the concept of comparative advantage, meaning if I'm good at this one thing, I should focus on that instead of do- doing the thing that I'm only kind of good at. Hmm. So like, for example, um, I am certainly capable of painting my house, right? Like I can get paint, I can paint it, but how long it would take and the job that I would do, which would be not great. It would be passable probably mm-hmm. um, would not be, my time would be better served. I did something else and I took the money that I, t- that I made doing something else and paid someone who was significantly better painting, who would do it a lot less time and all of that. So to me, I think about, am I, am I trying to paint the house right now? Like, mm-hmm. yes, I can do it. Right. But like, should I do it? <laughs> probably not. I probably should not be shooting all over myself, you know? So that's what I really, look for shouldn't be shooting all over yourself i've heard that one before i like i'm gonna write that one down uh that's an awesome example uh i can write my name with my left hand but it's gonna take me longer it's gonna be harder and the results are still gonna kind of suck so i'm not gonna do it all day because it's gonna stress me out right and finding work that aligns with the right hand or the stuff that's not painting uh is a great way to go so I I'd cut you off a little bit when you were talking about OxyGo. I want to know more about between the welding demonstrations and uh, being employee number one. How many employees do you have now, Ballpark? Uh, we have between uh, all of our international companies, we have over 200. All right. Yeah. Uh, so between then and now, tell me more about that growth uh, in the family of companies and going from uh, the initial... Uh, two that kind of balanced each other during different times to inception of Oxygo. Kind of give me the rundown as if we didn't work together uh, and, and I, I didn't know some of the story already. Sure. So, um, you know, after doing all the welding shows, um, I would also like answer phones and things like that when I was when I was younger, like in high school or, or do boxes, pack boxes, um, label parts. I literally have done every job in the company except for credit because I'm a pushover and I would rather sell people stuff and then assume that they'll pay us and get the money later. So like, that's the, right. the that's the thing. And then I also like, I took an accounting course uh, as another comparative advantage of, and so I understand it, but like, I prefer like emojis at my bottom line as opposed to, you know, I look, I, I look at all of it. And I just like, what's here, right? Is this, is this a green or is this a red? Um, so I've haven't spent a lot of time in accounting, but I've done um, literally everything else. So um, marketing sales, Shipping, packing, production. Um, I'm, I was general counsel for a while, and still I still have that hat in our family company. Okay. Um, so yeah. And what about like through the years as you're moving into different roles and getting exposure to you know, the the big picture of the business and things like that? 
you talked about internationally, like there's been growth recently into Canada, right? Uh, But uh, multiple locations around the U.S. We're like, I can't hit a golf ball very well, but Ron, my, you know, uh, our founder at Culture Shock, he could probably hit one to the office of Oxygo from here. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's not too far, but there's been a lot of growth. Uh, over the years, and I imagine some of that, or I, I know some of that has been since you took over as the the CEO in 2018. Uh, what about before that? Like, what took the original company, I guess, uh, to from five employees to 20 or 50? Like, is there anything more about that time frame? Yeah. Uh, so when we were just the two subsidiaries applied in Superflash, the re- the real secret to our growth, I think, was they call it content marketing now, but it's back then that was not a thing, right? So it was really, hey, we have a value, we have valuable information, technical information, regulatory information, because our two products are dealing with gases. So there's, you know, FDA stuff, there's DOT stuff, you know, so there's lots of stuff that is confusing. And so our customers were like, Dude, I don't understand any of this. This seems really technical. And we're like, hey, I got you. I know all this stuff. And we were very free with giving our information. So we'd say, here's here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. Oh, you have a question. Let me answer it for you. And we always felt that if we did the right thing, that our customers would come back and choose to, to purchase from us. And that is exactly what would happen. So we always were very customer forward, very customer focused, very helpful. How can we be useful? What can yeah. we do to help other people? And in a very genuine way, as opposed to sort of, you know, you know, a, a bait and switch kind of thing. We, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'll, I'll tell you this information. And eventually I think you'll come back to me, um, but I'm not doing it only for the sale. And I think that was really what helped kind of get us out and out of, you know, being in my dad's uh, den in our, in our first house to, you know, being in three different buildings that we own. Yeah. So that's part of it. And then I think the other piece of it, because we got that reputation for being, very customer focused and um, very like t- our post-sale supports amazing. I'm very proud of that. Um, and always being useful that gave us a foothold into helping. Um, so we partner Oxygo is actually partnered with um, a private label manufacturer for us. And they were having some issues. This is a while ago. They were having some issues in our market and we helped them. Right. Cause people trusted us and we were like, Hey, this is a great product. I'm willing to put my name on it. And our customers say, oh, you're willing to put your name on it? Okay. Mm. So I think that really slow building of the reputation in a genuine way uh, was really what helped us. I wish I could say like we did this one thing and we skyrocketed, um, but unfortunately that does not happen. There's there's not shortcuts (laughs) like that. Everyone's looking for one, but it's like doing the right thing with consistency is so much easier said than done, right? It really has to be a value. It has to be something that even through generations, right, remains so important uh, to a company. Oxico is some real, like, altruistic, and it just there's things I, I'm sure that for you, for for the family, for the teams, like they get gratification out of being a part of it because it helps people yes. in a big way, right? That's like, one of the great things. I think um, it really helped us to it made it more tangible for people when the pandemic hit. So we've always, so OxyGo and Applied Home Healthcare and Superflash Compressed Gas Equipment, they are all things that keep people safe and able to do work while having gases in their life. So on the medical side, um, we've always had ambulatory oxygen. So 
people who like you, you know, I'm blessed every day, every day that I get up and walk the 10 feet down to the bathroom and I don't get winded. I'm like, thank God, like I'm good. There's people who can't do that. There's people that say, you know, going to the grocery store is impossible. So with ambulatory oxygen with like cylinders or portable oxygen concentrators, which Oxygo does, like they go out into the world. But there's not a ton of people that you see out in the world on a daily basis um, before the pandemic that were having problems breathing. I don't know the people, you know, it wasn't really on the radar, but with the respiratory pandemic, um, that became something that was daily in people's lives, right? You could say, hey, I, I understand that people are having difficulty breathing. Like I never really noticed that before. That was never in my radar because I can breathe well. Right. You know? So I think that really brought it to a forefront. And then for the super flash, we make safety equipment for people who weld amazing things like bridges. And we actually like make some of the stuff that Iron Man, for example, Iron Man would use on his suit. So those are pretty amazing things to build the infrastructure, bridges, you know, buildings, that kind of stuff. And we keep people safe so they can get home to their families. So no doubt. Yeah. So it's, it's like a nice, easy way to find purpose where some, you know, it's sometimes harder to find your why some days. You don't need to look too far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you hit on something there too, because I think in leadership, in life, having the right outlook, positivity, and just appreciation for things. When you're talking about some people not being able to, you know, just get up and walk down the hall, and recognition of that is life changing, right? When you can have some way, because we all have shit days, we all have things that, uh, you know, catch us off guard or take us down but it's like having a way to hit reset remember what you're grateful for and when it's the industry you work in that makes it a little easier but in general like we can't influence others and lead others the way that we want to if we don't have that way of hitting reset and remembering be grateful right i mean do you do you feel like that has come through in your uh way of leading well, it's one of our core values, actually. Uh, one of our, our one of our core values is um, get to do this. So it's a reminder, and what we look for in people is that they woke up that day and they chose their hard. Like everything in life is hard right. you have to choose your hard, right? <laughs> so, so when you wake up and you say, "I'm choosing to go to work," and when I'm choosing to go to work, I'm going to interact with Joe in a, a way that shows that I chose that day. Like this is not a forced job. You know, this is not something that I'm indentured to, right? Like I get to choose this. We're, we're lucky, you know, where we are in Cleveland and in the U.S. that you can choose your job. Right. So that's one of our values is I get to do this and remembering it's not. And, it, and it's also we're very clear. It's not like a positive, like I'm positive vibes. Good time. Right. It's not fault. Like you're going to have hard days like that's not realistic to think that you can just put on this positive vibes and never will you ever feel like it's a crappy day. But remembering that, hey, this is a crappy day, but I'm choosing my life. I'm choosing what I'm doing and I'm choosing how I show up right. with my coworkers and my friends and my family. Uh, I, that's incredible. And a great segue for core values and being a huge piece of, well, geez. Every company, but I looked at differently for EOS run companies than many. Uh, what's you want to talk a little bit about some of the other core values at Oxygo and your experience with, you know, I imagine they, they've been in place. Maybe they changed a little bit. How did they come to life? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we started um, when we started EOS, um, we had that vision day, which was amazing. And I think that was really helpful. Um 
as an entrepreneur and a leader, I feel like you get told, hey, you need to have core values. Core values this, core values that. You need to, and then there's your, what's your mission statement? What's buzzword this, buzzword that? And you think to yourself, like, ah, I'm like, be truthful and honest. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, every, you know, then you look at that, like everybody's got the same core values and that doesn't really work. So when we started ours, we actually pulled it from everybody on our, on our leadership team and we, and we decided not to put honesty and all of that because those are table stakes. Like you should just show up in your life that way. Right. Uh, Pay to play, to say, sort of like right, yeah, price exactly. of admission sort like of things. You need to say like, when you wake up in the morning, remember to breathe, you know? So, right. so we kind of, that, and that was also helpful, just eliminating a lot of those things where it should just be givens. Um, and so we came together and we get, did them all together. So I think sometimes I know for me as a, as a leader, when I would read all the articles and Harvard review, business review and all of this, I felt that the onus was on me to make the core values, but it's really not like you need to actually do it with your team. And I think that was what really helped. And once we did that, it became super easy. We actually looked at, um, some of our, and we, we, one of the ways that we did that was we looked at some of our employees, our favorite team members that were doing really good and in, in what, in why we were like, why do we like Joe? Like why, why is Joe like stellar? When I would name like our number one star employees, why is that? And why would we name Jane this way? And why would we name Jill this way? And when we started seeing the themes of why we're like, that's because mm-hmm. they're showing up in the core values. We just hadn't named them. Yeah. So when we came together as a leadership team and wrote out our core values, and then once we rolled them out and tell, told like, you know, the, the team at large, they were like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And that's when we knew we had it right. That's awesome. That, that, First off, the mindset of it should be the team and not just you know one person who, who makes the decision. Not everyone thinks that way, but there's absolutely merit. If you want them to grow legs, if you want them to truly be uh, the real indication of you know, people who are your company, right? That process of having each person identify these people embody what it means to be a member of this team and then identifying characteristics, grouping some together, eliminating any, if they're aspirational or more price of admission, it gets you to a place of this is really us, right? Do, what are, do you, I'm guessing, you know, some of them like the back of your hand. What, what are your other core values? So uh, we have answer the call. So we always, we have like snazzy names for them, which was also one of the fun parts. So yeah. um, answer the call, which is really a shorthand for customer service, but it's more than that. So we want to have customer service and answer the call to service, not only for our external customers, but also for our team members, right? So there is internal and there's external customer service. So we want to answer the call to service and we do hmm. it with alacrity, with a brisk and cheerful readiness. And we go forward and do that. So it's a, it's a call to service. Um, so answer the call. I get to do this, which I talked about. I like that. Don't know the answer yet. Uh, which is mm. a growth mindset. So, yeah. so that's a huge thing. I think, um, you know, it's like when you're a kid and you think that, you know, grownups know all the answers. Like we don't, we don't. And you're going to fail if you try to say that, you know, all the answers and you're going to be, a, it's going to be bad for your team. And it's totally fine to not know the answer. I think the key thing is being able to say, I don't know that, but I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. And I can tell you how I'm going to figure it out. I don't know that. 
not sure how I'm going to figure that out, but I will figure it out. I'll ask my teammates. I will go, um, I'll go ask chat GPT to start, right? I don't know, but I'll do something to start that. So that's one, um, that's the third one. And then the fourth one is yes. And which comes from improv. So if we're brainstorming and we're working as a team and someone comes up with some ideas or is trying to solve a problem, we say yes. And as opposed to no, that's not going to work and shut it down. So it's more, it's, it's, it's a kind of a riff on that growth mindset. It's, it's growing the team and finding out what else we can do with each other. Those are solid. (laughs) I think so too. I really like them a lot. So when you add context or definition to them and have examples of this is what they look like in action. This is how you can observe them. It lets you set really clear expectations, make commitments, and just get everyone on the same page and rowing together, right? Are there any, since you've locked them in like that and they are truly you and the team, like when somebody does join Oxygo, is there anything, you know, I think the the common thinking is that they're on the break room wall and they're in the onboarding packet and they should be. And they're, they're I can tell you the millions of places that we have them because it's very, very important to us. So you're given them in the interview, um, you're given them all along, and then you're also asked, um, you're told, hey, like we do this thing called EOS. So you're given a copy of um, what the heck is EOS and the five dysfunctions of a team, which is a huge, huge thing for us. Yep. So they're everywhere. They're on all of, uh, they're actually like on screens in the break room, in the operations room, they hung on the walls. And then every quarter we do a forward focus and which is essentially a mini review where we talk to each other about, Hey, this was your rock last quarter. Did you get it done? Why didn't you get it done? What's your quarter? This, or yes or no. What can I do to support you on that? And then there's a whole section on uh, core values and it's plus or minus. And so your supervisor will talk to you about, hey, this is how you showed up for answer the call. Um, mm. You did great. You got a plus. I saw you do it in this instance. This is you didn't really uh, don't know the answer yet. You got a plus minus. Here's an instance where I thought that you didn't really do the growth mindset that we were looking for. Right. Here's how I can help you. So we constantly have that. And we always use examples with our teammates too, of like, as opposed to sort of like, eh, it felt like you weren't really showing up for answer the call. Cause like, it doesn't really help. Doesn't, it's subjective. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, like, it's, it's so, not specific. And yeah. It's really hard to measure the core values and how someone show up anyway. Cause it is kind of a esoteric subjective thing. So we're always big fans of using an example. For of, sure. This is the behavior. This is the good behavior. This is the bad behavior. This is whatever. This is how that behavior, that's how it showed up to me. This is how I saw it so that you're talking about it in example. So we also review it and um, in our forward focuses every quarter. And then it's also part of our annual performance reviews. So there's plenty of ways that we talk about it. That, and as it should be, yeah. right? It should be, it's a decision filter. It's what, if all of a sudden every member of your organization were cast into different parts of the globe and faced with these challenges and had to make decisions based on something, if they think back to the core values and use that as a compass, you're going to move forward generally in the same direction, even if you're not communicating, right? Uh, So it's, boy, I've been a part of, you you mentioned five dysfunctions of a team. Uh, I've been a part of some organizations uh, that were kind of the model or poster child for that. 
Uh, also been fortunate enough to work with some really, really great teams and some like peak leaders that have introduced me to EOS and some of these different concepts and models. And you know, I think that we're all kind of a, a combination of the things that we are exposed to. But when we talk about leadership and those who made the biggest impression on us, uh, I imagine your father being the visionary uh, of the organization probably had a, a pretty big part in that. What else? When you think about your your career journey, your leadership journey, I know you've been with the organization since you were 11, uh, but I imagine you've had other mentors or uh, people who've made uh, their left their mark on you or you strive to emulate them in some way. So can you share a little bit about that with us yeah. and tell us uh, about how you got to the leadership mindset that you have today? Yeah, sure. So I think, um, you know, growing up, having such a strong leadership figure in my father, I assumed that I was going to have, that I should be exactly like him, mm. which, you know, he's twice my age, not my gender from a different generation. Like doesn't, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't fit right. <laughs> so, it'd be a little weird if yeah, it was a carbon copy. Weird. And, and it would be yeah. weird if he tried to be like me. Right. So, but I, I went through this phase where I thought, well, I, I gotta do, I gotta do that. Even though it doesn't feel right. It doesn't, sit well on me. And so as I grew and I went to, um, I went to this program, I went to something called a program for leadership development at Harvard. So it's like the, it's like their version of an EMBA. They have a little section called uh, authentic leadership development. And we talked a lot about how to be an authentic leader and why that was important. And I thought, Hey, that's, super wishy-washy, hocus-pocus, woo-woo stuff, and then Harvard tells you to do it. And then you're like, oh, well. Must be something to must it. Must be something to it. So we had it was like a two-week intensive that we really focused on trying to, to, to learn what it meant for us to be a leader. And so for me, I learned that it's not trying to be like anyone else. So I found that when I, when I try to be myself, when I look at – what works for me as opposed to what works for somebody else, then that's what really helps. Yeah. Um, and so what works for me is that I, I try to be very empathetic and I try to be very self-aware of how I'm showing up to the team that I'm with or the one-on-one that I'm with, or just whoever I'm with. I try to be aware of like, Hey, who is this person? Who do they think I am? What am I being to them right now? And how does that communicate well with them? Because I am, I, you know, I have, it's interesting because there's some people who have worked for the company for 20, 25 years, people who worked with me when I was not CEO and they are totally comfortable with me because they, they know who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh, I know Toria, but the newer people in our organization who only know me as CEO, who have only known that, oh, she's a lawyer and she went to Harvard and look, she's wearing a blazer. I mean, it's a cute blazer, but she's wearing a blazer. She must be whatever. I know that I'm going to show up in a way like they're going, they already have some things thought about me. And I think, okay, how do I, how do I care about, how do I make sure that that doesn't color what I'm saying? How do I make sure that I can communicate through however they, however they need to be communicated to? Yeah. So I'm a lot more mindful, I guess, about that, about how I show up. And I mean mindful in an actual mindful way as opposed to like the buzzwordy way. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually think about it. <laughs> There's a lot there. The authenticity piece, it influences, uh, it, it's freeing. I wasn't. For a lot of my career, at least 
uh, a phase or two of it when I, I worked for a large corporate organizations and I, I was me, but I, I wasn't as confident speaking up, right? I, I think I, I leaned heavier towards that uh, muted or, or filtered version of myself uh, where I, I, I didn't attend college. I jumped straight into career and, uh, you know, kind of was almost embarrassed or ashamed of that for a while, uh, hiding it, and then also just so concerned about perception and things. And it it took its toll on me. I was still moderately successful and uh, effective, but I realized that it was the relationships where I could be most authentic and weird and lean into that unapologetically that – I felt best that the results were best. The relationship was the strongest. The, the most like trust was there, and fortunately, I eventually had the opportunity or the realization to, you know, lean forward more into just me <laughs> and to to be more authentic. And that's something we talk about a lot now. In like, we have a whole workshop called "Establish Authentic Trust" uh, that. You know, you, you can't fake it. You can accelerate trust, though, if you are like everyone's weird. All right. And my favorite people are pretty weird. They're also, you know, uniquely themselves and don't they're not ashamed or apologetic about that, because th- when there's that realness, that humanity in leadership, boy, people you know, will I I know from my experience, my peak leader, I would jump through, uh, you know, fire and uh, charge into battle with them when it was somebody that I knew genuinely cared, were invested in me, and they were human, right? So kudos to you for blending that with what you learned, right, uh, through uh, family and the experience that you had. What else? I, so I, so I was going to say, like, what you're saying about um, people – uh, like hiding, hiding their light under a bushel or not knowing what, not wanting to be a certain, not show up in a certain way and not being themselves. Like to me, that's, I think everyone has that. I think everyone has some degree of that. And I think I want one of the things that I like to do or want in our company is that people to be able to show up as themselves, because I think when you can show up as yourself, your true self, and not have that feeling of I have to act in this certain way, or I have to be ashamed of this certain part of me, or I have to hide this part, or I have to, you know, make this amplify this part, you, when you're yourself, you can actually do what you're meant to to do on this earth, which will help everyone in our team, which will help our company, which helps our community, which helps so many people in the world. So I keep trying to make a place for us, for everyone at our company where they can feel like they can show up as themselves. And that's a lot of where our, why our core values are there and why we hire on them is we want, we, we've created an environment where it's hopefully intrinsically motivating to, to be able to be yourself. Yeah. Hearing that from the leader of an organization, right? Like when your team members hear that it makes it okay. And I don't think we can say it enough. There's times that we're like, oh, I, I, I've set that expectation. Everybody knows that. But we have to so like explicitly say sometimes, like, I want you to give me radically candid feedback. I want you to feel like you can be your totally uh, you. Uh, over and over again, it's like that's the stuff that eventually it clicks and people are like, all right, they must mean it. 
Well, that's when you said earlier, consistency, that's a huge word for us as well, especially on our leadership team is being consistent. Um, you know, you, like you said, you can, I can say it one time, but it, you have to say it multiple times. You have to say it seven times before they even hear right. it the first time. And I, that's okay. I have to be told things seven times. I probably have to told 70 times. Um, and it's fine to do that. We just have to be consistent. And because sometimes people aren't ready to hear it. People aren't in a space to hear it or they hear it in a different way. So you just have to keep being consistent with that message. Yeah. We talk a lot about kind of the doing the uncomfortable things or surely it's, it's not all easy. You said, I mean, some days are hard. Some days, uh, you know, we, we need to pause and kind of think about what we're grateful for. Uh, sometimes we also need to pause and think about like not only our core values, but where, where are we going and uh, to determine which path we're going to take. Name of this podcast is Into the Storm Leaders. You've heard the Buffalo mentality from Ron Kaminsky, I imagine, uh, that we oft, our body tells us when something, it might be short-term painful or uncomfortable, but you get to a better outcome faster uh, versus taking the easier, seemingly more comfortable path of staying silent, not addressing it, that sort of thing. When you elevated, right? And it sounds like you, you left a little bit to go to college, right? Yeah. No, I still, I still worked. You still worked at I, that time? Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, on the summers. And then I used to have to do the marketing stuff. Um, I had to do all the proofreading while I was in college and then he got free legal advice. Uh, my dad got nice. free legal advice for, for quite some time, but, but yes, I mean, I was not, I was not actively in the business or I was not showing up in the office, which back, back in the the many moons ago when I was in college, um, there wasn't zoom and stuff. So, you know, it was definitely more of like a correspondence course in helping the company. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> I imagine before CEO, you being that you were involved in so many different facets of the business, you probably had a team at some point you had a, had leadership responsibilities. Yeah. Was there ever a storm you had to charge into of folks who weren't receptive to that or who you could tell they like, oh, she's, you know, why is she getting this role? Oh, or, like, or was there any of that that um, was? So there is, there's definitely, there's definitely always, especially if you're the, the child, and especially if you're the daughter, unfortunately, a lot of people are like, well, we're, we're, why didn't you give it to the son? Mm. <laughs> um, a lot of that's gone away. Um, but if you're, if you're a kid of the owner, um, people always assume that you've gotten it out of nepotism. Um which it used to, that used to actually bother me, but, um, I would be doing this on my own and I would, you know, I, I feel very confident in my skill set and into all of that. So it, I don't, you know, the hater's going to hate, I guess, if it's going to happen. Um, I like that, but I don't, I think it's fine. I don't, I don't feel like that anymore so much when I was, when I was younger, I think maybe, maybe I saw more of that or I noticed more of that. Um, but not so much anymore. Um, Mostly because I think, you know, I, I typically don't care about, um, all my fancy degrees and whatnot. Cause I don't, I don't necessarily think that, um, I think you learn a lot by experience. I think you learn a lot by who you talk to and where you're at and education comes in many different forms. Um, but that sometimes helps people think that, oh, you know, if you have this credentialing, then it must mean that you're not just the the dumb kid that's taken over. Right. You weren't gifted it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So, but I mean, that's just something you just deal with. Cause that's more of a less t- tells me more about them than it tells me about me. Um, but when I, when I only had, um, when I was just in customer care, when I was heading up customer care, when I was younger, um, we definitely had some, some bumps in the road with people, um, interpersonal things where, okay. um, we had, we had a woman in our, we had a couple of women in our customer care team. And one of them was a actually interested in marketing and she had a marketing degree and we started the market. This is we're really small. So we didn't really have a marketing team. And so we said, okay, great. We're going to make the marketing team. We're going to take and move them into the marketing team. And one of the coworkers in the customer care team came up to me and said, you only put her in the marketing team because she's your favorite. And I think I have noticed in the past, some people would say, Oh, she's not my favorite. And I was like, I didn't even respond to that part. I just said, she has a marketing degree. You don't, if you would like to get a marketing experience, please let me know. I will help you get that training. And I think being direct with people about that, about why someone has a different job or a different, Mm -hmm. you know, level in the company, like they have this experience, they have this education, they've shown me this. Mm-hmm. You don't. Do you want to get that? I will help you get that. But I think sometimes if you people are afraid of being that direct and then that causes issues or they try to make up something, you know, and I think I think you just have to be direct in that way. Yeah. It's a service. Yeah. Because then they know. Like I think so often people will kind of pull other people down to boost themselves up. Right? And yeah. in reality, if, if they raise their hand and say, I really want this, here's what I'm doing to earn it. What else mm-hmm. can I do to get there? Yeah. Probably would have had a very different conversation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, going back just a little bit, and I, I'm glad, uh, and I, I would expect nothing different, that you've earned every bit of respect, confidence, and self-esteem from not just your education, but from the way that you lead. If somebody's listening to this who is in a family business and is – experiencing that that almost perception of nepotism right or uh, where maybe they're in their first leadership role within the family-run company and they're getting disrespect from uh, the team and things like that is there anything from your experience that you would share as kind of a mindset things to remember things that might help them um for me i I first would look at it and decide, and this is with any criticism, I look at it and I go, okay, what part, is there any part of that that's true? Okay. Is there any tiny kernel of learning I can take from it? Mm. Um, with the nepotism, usually there is not <laughs> a lot of that. I would go, okay, well, who's saying that? Why are they saying it? Does that, and, and usually I would come and say, and if any of uh, some of those broad criticisms like that, that are based upon assumptions and stereotypes, I always go, that tells me more about the person who said that than it does about me. So I think about that too. And I think to myself, if someone does have that perception or come at me with that nepotism argument, I just know that I need to handle myself in a different way with that person because they have a, they have a different view of it. Yeah. And if I want to, if I want to be able to penetrate and communicate to them what I need to communicate, I'm going to have to overcome that. So I just take that as a piece of, you know, the puzzle of how do I, how do I, how do I talk to this person? Sure. That makes sense. 
there's very few things you can say in that moment that are going to change that person's way of yeah. looking at things differently. All right. You can show it, demonstrate over time. They'll see if they, or they'll part ways, right? Like any other, I'm sure there's plenty. Oh, well, storms. you know, the other thing too, that oh. also, you know, thinking about this too, if, especially if you're in a, um, and this is a piece of advice in case you are in it and you don't want to be the CEO. Like if you are a generation and you don't want to be the leader, cause some people don't want to do that. All right. Um, you know, there's three type, there's three roles in a family business. If your family owns the company, there's owner management, um, and family. So those are the three things that you can be. You're always going to be family, right? Cause that's blood. Um, but you can just be an owner. You don't have to be in management. So a lot of times too, I would say, um, and this is something that I think about too, as we mm. scale and grow, because I am a founder and an entrepreneur and that skill set might not scale. Right. So I think to myself, well, I'm also an owner and I also have the purpose of, I want, uh, our company to grow so I can give people more jobs and they can have a really good place to work and so that they can affect their family and their community in a better way. So that, that's my goal. That's my why. I might not have the title CEO forever for that reason. Right. And that's okay. So if you're in family and you don't want to be a CEO or you, you think you, someone would be, your company would be better served by having another leader. Like, remember you have other roles. You're also owner and family. You don't have to also be management if that's yeah. an issue. That's, that's a good take on it too. I imagine the core values are a, a compass in times like that, but are there any times where you knew it was going to be uncomfortable, going to be difficult or challenging at first, and you did it anyway? Yeah. Um, I think a really good example of that is um, during COVID when we lost our entire supply chain of uh, Oxygos. So we had like an 80, something that was worth 80% of our revenue went down to zero. Um, yeah. So I was really, I'm really still really proud of the team for how we, how that worked. And I think that if we wouldn't have had our core values and our, like the scaffolding of EOS around us to talk about that, I don't think we would have gotten through it because there's just two, there's, it was a very scary situation. Right. So, um, but I think we worked exactly how we were supposed to work. So we ended up joining, getting into a completely new product line that was available at the time, um, a CPAP machine. We got into sleep. Um, and we able to source, identify source and get it into the U S within three months, a brand new, completely new medical device. And it saved our butts. <laughs> so, um, it was, and it was completely amazing. And I think it's exactly the, t- the way the team works is exactly how it should work. So it's a kind of a funny story talk about being authentic. So I am, um, Ron knows this. I'm a big yogi. I have like a, my 500 hour yoga teacher certification. So I, okay. I practice like every day and I also like to chit chat with people. So we found our CPAP device because I happened to be, I happened to be friends with somebody on the yoga mat next to me. So she was like, oh yeah, you should meet this person. And then that became a butterfly effect. But if you come back down to it, it's because I went to yoga every day. So I did what I think a visionary should do is I went out and I saw all the shiny things and then I brought back all the shiny things and like threw them on the table and was like, what do you think? And then ran away and got more shiny things. Yes. And our team, (laughs) our team was like, well, this one's crap. This one's crap. This one's crap. And I was like, oh, okay, more shiny. You know, I I try not to take offense to anything that, you know, it's, you know, obviously if I'm going to have a lot of ideas, some of them are going to be crap. So 
they happened to find the one good one, the CPAP device, and they, they, they executed on it, right? So, yeah. you know, they went forward, and I think because they, you know, they had they put their rocks on it, they had the L10s, they actually came out and had a separate um like C, like CPAP L10. So instead of, you know, currently we have it on all of our verticals. And when we have big projects, we'll take cross-functional teams and um, make an L10 out of that and use that structure on that project. And that's how we really execute quickly on those things. And so I think that the team did exactly what they wanted to do. And it was a scary thing. And we were trying new things. And because we had yes, and, and I don't know the answer yet and answer the call, like nobody took anything personally. We're like, no, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is the L10. This is the structure that we're following. This is the language that we're using. I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what you're doing? Okay, cool. Let's find out together, whatever. There was never any of that interpersonal stuff that could get in the way, getting in the way. Yeah. That, that's a great example. And I love that it, it did come back to the core values. Like ours are be a buffalo, own success, relentless growth, and uncommon leadership. And it, it's kind of the same thing where in those situations, it's, it is our filter to say like, how do we show uncommon leadership here? How do we be a buffalo and charge into this head on? You know, it, that sort of thing. So I love that it keeps coming back to that as it should. Uh, how about it, it's great when things do work that way without the interpersonal issues or conflict and things that are, sometimes people just aren't a good fit though, right? Not a good value fit or uh, it's actually a service to or, and mutually beneficial to separate, yeah. right? And I, I've had earlier in my career, I shied away from it. Uh, later on in my career, I started to embrace it a little bit more to have conversations of just, do you really want to be here? Let's find something that you enjoy doing because if you hate it so much, like I don't want, want you to be here if you don't want to be, yeah. uh, that, that sort of a thing. Have you had any of those and you, you don't need to get into specifics if you don't want to, but just, uh, any storms that were more people related storms that you yeah. need to charge into? I think, um, we did have a ton of changes when we started EOS and started implementing our core values for sure. Um, so like my leadership team, um, we had three people change out in three years. Um, you know, some just by, you know, family circumstances or whatever others just by not like having a core values fit, um, Mm. and just moving forward in that. We've also had, um, turnover and change in, um, outside of our leadership team for people who had been with us for, you know, almost 20 years, um, just because we had a different way of going forward. Um, and those were hard, those were hard, right? Those were hard. But when it kept coming up that it was super obvious that no one was happy, (laughs) you know, like no one is happy here. Like, this is like, you're not happy. Like the team is unhappy. Like we're not like, this is hard, but you know, it's probably better for you to, you're going to flourish elsewhere. Right. You know, like this is not, you know, and it was hard because I specifically, the person who had been there for quite some time, like I really liked them, you know, so that was a difficult yeah. situation, but I think that they're much better and much happier, um, where they are now. So I think that's, you know, that's the hard thing. And you always, everything's always much better once you just do it, 
you know? If you let it languish, it gets harder and harder. It reminds me, if anyone, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Mm. They have the little, like the owls, they get a little howler type thing. And it's a it's a letter when your parents send you a letter by the Hogwarts and you're in trouble. Like it'll, if you don't open it, it turns red and gets worse and worse and worse mm-hmm. until like just basically explodes and like screams at you in front of all your friends. And I think that's the same kind of thing. Like it's just much better to open the letter now, rip it off yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's almost Halloween. I uh, I don't mean to like get attracted to the shiny, shiny object that is Harry Potter, uh, but just last night my wife and I hung up these uh, lights in the hallway that uh, they're, they're just little plastic lights, but they sway and flicker. So that, that way our hallway looks like uh like the hall oh, in yeah. in hogwarts it's, i'm a big fan uh, of it. i'll have to get the link for you because i'm i'm luna lovegood this year and my daughter's hermione granger so oh. like, we're gonna need, well, we'll need some decoration very cool <laughs> very cool how old's your daughter uh she's almost nine yeah you said you i before you came in you were talking with some of the team uh it sounded like you went somewhere cool oh, was that recently or was that earlier oh, that like, was that was um that was why that was with ypo that, that's cool <laughs> like uh I've never been whitewater rafting. There's a certain, I think, with most visionaries, you, you would expect some sort of risk tolerance, and I imagine your daughter has some similar characteristics as as oh my you God, do. This girl, uh, she's well, she's yeah. You know, I'm very tall, so she's very tall. So she's been able to go on roller coasters at Cedar Point since she's been six. And her favorite one is the Val Raven, where they literally like dangle you over the <laughs> All right. edge. She's always like, "Can we get in the front row for that?" I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> so my assumption was correct. Yes. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Uh, so we were we were talking about with EOS when when that when you made the decision to uh, to implement that operating system, uh, it it did lead to some changes as naturally occurs. Mm-hmm. Like it, the way that I've heard some people describe it is they got extreme clarity on their vision. Mm-hmm. So any wishy washy or uncertainty around fit and things like that, it was no longer uncertain. It, it's very clear. Tell me, how were you introduced to it? How, what was the origin of EOS for I heard you? the name. I got recommended the book Traction enough times that I read it, like how I wrote down Strategic Coach. Right. That's how I know. I'm like, oh, the universe or whatever. I've heard it, you know, so many times. Now it's the time to pick it up. So I had heard about it from, um, you know, I'm in a group called YPO. Um, I had heard about it from my Harvard Business School friends, like people uh, that I respect mm-hmm. had mentioned over and over again, like, I read this book and it was really interesting and good and I like it. And then I had a good friend who was in like my study group and at school and he was implementing EOS and he was like, you know, I went from, you know, 25 to 250 million in four years and I attributed to EOS. And I was like, whoa. And he's like, you want to see my PNLs? I was like, yes. And so he like went through his entire book with like his, all of his financials. That's how, that's how awesome he is and how close we are. Um, so he did that and it was great. And then I was like, I better read this book. So I read it. And then I asked everyone in my leadership team to read it. And I said, Hey, you know what? I really like this and I want to do this. I think this is, this is all of the things that I've learned in little pockets, like five distinctions of a team and good to grade and this concept and this concept that I've always liked that I've been trying to like, hodgepodge implement um, is finally like in this book and it makes sense. And I feel like there's so many, like the story in traction about letting go of the vine, like things like that really spoke to me. And so when my leadership team read it, they were like, holy crap, like, yeah, 
this is um, on board on board with this. So you know, we tried to we tried to put some things in together. You know, like oh, we'll we'll start trying this L ten and like it like it's so like self implement. Yeah, yeah, we tried like... to self implement and it wasn't great. Um, and I'm a big fan of education, so it was like this is essentially. Um, using an implementer is essentially like having an educator, having a professor or a teacher with us and having that shared experience was really helpful. So like we actually went and interviewed three or four implementers and we did the 90 minute mm-hmm. with three or four people. And the, that little free 90 minute educational thing was like, great. A, it really solidified some of my, some of my leadership team were not big readers. So I wasn't convinced that they had actually like, <laughs> You know, it was more of like a skimming situation. So right. Once they got through it a couple of times, they really understood it. And then also gave us an idea to see when we all t- were with that implementer, like who we were going to click with. And it was you know obvious right off the bat that we clicked with Ron. Um, so that was really helpful because those are in COVID times too. So we were, in, we were interviewing people all over the country because it was going to be by Zoom. Ah. So we, you know, so I had gotten um, uh, references from, you know, people all over the country, you know, cause I, I put it out to my network. Um, and that's, and then after that, it was just history. And so we, one of the things that we really, that we did that I really, um, recommend that I think is a key point of actually making it stick is that we, we, the leadership team didn't roll it out for six months to the rest of the team. Okay. So, so we actually lived and breathed it and made sure that we were doing it before we did it. Cause I think it comes back to consistency. Hey. It was just, if we, if we just like, you know, like, Oh, Hey, we read this. And the next week we're all going to live at the same time. Like, you know, they've seen it enough to know that I like shiny objects and it's going to go, you know, they're going to be like, well, she's just another shiny. Object. Is it a flavor of the week yeah. sort of thing? So we were able to already be in that consistency and that, that really helped. And so, you know, it stuck and now I'll, all of our team really loves it. So that's that's a great story. Uh, I was curious how long after you moved into the role, so like 2018 to 2020. Yeah, is, 2020. Is, yeah. So it was it was pretty quick. It was pretty quickly after that because it it was something I saw um, that we needed because we were you know we needed to scale, and you know I can't I can't put my arms around everything because the business is only going to grow as big as my arms if I try to. Keep my arms around everything. I can't scale myself. One person is not scalable. Right. Right. So, so I was trying to figure out like, how do I, how do I do this? What are the systems? And this was just all packaged. And I essentially loved the fact that it was all packaged and together for me. And I let go of my ego of, I need to make a special snowflake unique. Toria stamped one. I was like, this is already here. This will serve everyone. We can tweak as we need. And I just went for it. And get everyone on the same page. You've been, I'm sure you would say it's not just been you, right? And there's many people involved from your your father paving the way to you, other family members, the team, uh, growing the business, businesses to make the difference on the world that they have. There's been over the past few years, though, a, a, a recognizable or, or pretty uh, observable culture, right? Change and uh, to where you're recognized as a, you know, top workplace. And uh, I think the when you're doing a lot of these healthy leadership practices, you do retain more people that are the people you want to retain, you do attract more people. What would you attribute to that? I mean, can we just talk about any of the the cultural shift over the past few years? Was EOS uh, 
a big part of that? Were there other things that you think like, you know, complemented or, or just the stars aligned, the timing was right? Or did you, you know, feel like your team kind of muscled and willed to just continue getting better with that growth mindset? Like, I think um, it was a, a a lot of things. I think EOS definitely helped because if you don't have a common language, it's very difficult to affect change. And I think also we I we had a coalition. So I built a coalition of people to help me with the change, right? So again, not just me. I can't really do anything. I am like the least effective human being. I need many, many people to help me. I am very all distracted by the shiny objects. I need I need structure. And so I need people. So we got a bunch of people that were into it, right? And we were all together on that. Um, and I think consistency with it as well, you know, always doing this, really always saying the same things and living by those things. And I think it was easy for me because that's who I am. So it was natural. It was a natural thing for me to do, yeah. to be to be the core values to always try to do the right thing by people and to listen to them and really like want to know who they are and, and what we can do to help them as people. Uh, so I think that really helped. What are you most excited about next? What are you looking forward to? All the things. Give me a couple of them. Even if it's not most, what are you excited about next? Um, I'm really excited to see what we do next uh, in Canada um, so we just opened in Canada and we have a little, a little place and I'm excited to see that grow. Cause I, I remember that it's like a warm and fuzzy memories of growing, you know? So I'm excited about that. Um, congrats by the way. Thanks. Yeah. It's really cool. I love Canada also. So it's nice that I get to go up there a lot. So. You, you hear that Canada? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love my tunes. Um, so, so that I'm excited about that. I'm also really excited about, the fact that we're hiring more people and that we're growing in that way. Um, I really believe that, you know, my purpose is to hire as many people as possible and try to affect positively as many people as possible. I think that we have an awesome culture. I think that we have a really accepting culture. I think we have a growing culture and our, and our pur purpose is to, to help our people and our customers grow. And I think if I help, a person grow, then they help their family. And and I've seen that there's the reason this even came about is there's a woman that I used, that I work with. I used, she used to be my boss when I was in the warehouse and, um, she, I watched her pay off her house and send her kids to college and all of that, all of these things that she did. Cause she had a job at our company and her, her daughter not only went to college, but then went off and got her master's at case and is now like a social worker and how many people is she helping? Right. You know, and you can see that like we, we had this company where she was able to do that and how that can ripple out. So I want to do that for as many people as possible. I want as many people as possible to pay off their houses and do whatever they want to do or help their kids do whatever they want to do. And so I'm really excited about that because I, I see it in our warehouse and I see it in our different places that like there's new people coming in and they all, a lot of them say like, oh my gosh, I've never worked someplace like this before. I'm like, great. Hope you mean it in a positive way because this is definitely, <laughs> definitely a different place. Right. Welcome to the party. Right. So I, I'm very excited about that. Love it. Yeah. Are there any storms on the horizon that you're charging into? Yeah, every day is a storm. Yeah. I think that, I think 
being an entrepreneur, being a leader, being a, you know, a CEO, like every day is just, I think it was, I don't know where I heard it, but someone said every day is like being punched in the face. I'm like, yeah, it really is like can be, you know? So like, so every day has, has a storm in it. There's always something, right? But that's life. There's always something and I get to choose my heart. So I'm going to choose this one. Hell yeah. Bringing it back to that. (laughs) (laughs) For those who want to continue the conversation, who would love to learn more about the work that you do, have a conversation with you, join the team, uh, point us to some resources. What what are the, the ways that people can find out more? Well, obviously, on you can always find me on LinkedIn, um, but www.oxygo.life would be our Oxygo website. And you can also go to www.oxyfuelsafety.com for our super flash. And there's all kinds of cool career opportunities on there and all that stuff. Are there, you said there's cool career opportunities and things right now too? Okay. And are there on social media? Are, are you guys in, involved in any way on? Yeah, we have OxyGo on Facebook and, you know, Life Corporation on Instagram and all of that kind of stuff. But okay, LinkedIn yeah, being the big one yeah. <laughs> for both of you and for the company. Yeah. Okay. This has been great. Uh, I really appreciate having you in today. You've taken the time. Uh, you've been a, a big uh, advocate for what we do. We are as well. I think just mutual respect and appreciation uh, for, and I, I'm excited now that I got a chance to sit down and actually speak with you more. Like I'll be cheering you on from the sidelines and helping <laughs> wherever I can, but I'm, I'm excited to see what's next for you and the team over there. Any parting words for emerging leaders uh, in different industries or uh, those who are moving into a leadership role, trying to, you know, kind of elevate with an organization or, uh, just anyone else watching this? Well, whatever you're doing, be useful, be helpful to people, and then it'll work out. Especially if you're young and looking to move up in an organization, find what you can do to fix a problem and just do it. Yeah, love it. Toria, you're excellent. Uh, thank you again. And I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. Uh, folks, appreciate you tuning in for another episode. As always, if you have any feedback, comments, you want to get in touch, uh, you, you can. Do so in the comments or reach out to us at Into the Storm Leaders, Culture Shock, and Oxygo. All right. Thanks, folks.